which is it's the, a garbage film. Oh, you you you're garbage. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the one and only the Cecil. Uh, yes. Didn't really have a response to that. No, huh? I didn't. He's so unprepared. And Peter is off this week. He's what did he say? He's like acting in a in a friend's movie or something. So I'm saying good for Peter. Yeah, get out there and be creative. So it'll just be the two of us. But if you guys want to help out the show, and if you guys want to look up any of the movies that we bring up, or maybe find them on darker sites, you need a digital condom, which is basically NordVPN. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash DromeVPN, and for only $3.79 a month, you can get 75% off of a three-year plan with, with Nord. They'll encrypt your data, they'll encode your data, they'll protect you, they'll hide your IP address, Get around region coding if, say, you want to watch something on YouTube that's only available in England. You just click on, hey, I'm now on a London server. Nord is fantastic, and they will protect you. So just go to 1201beyond.com backslash DromeVPN. And also, if you're feeling a little bit frisky with the stuff you look up on Nord, because we know you're going to be going to some porno sites, you need to go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So all that said, last week we talked about 70s horror movies. We're going to talk about the nice logical step, 80s horror movies, because we got a lot to go through here. The main stuff has been talked to death, Cecil. So I don't really want to talk about Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, this kind of stuff, because that's been done to death. I mean, hell, on this show alone, we've talked about all this crap before. So I just want to breeze past that stuff and talk about the stuff a lot of the people don't talk about when it comes to 80s horror. So when you think of 1980 horror, 1980, what do you think of? When I'm not thinking of Friday the 13th, I am thinking of, oh God, I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, so many big movies came out in 1980. Uh, the, the Shining, Friday the 13th. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to think of specifically an 80s film. How about this one? How about the one that's way too close to home for all of us? Fade to Black. Oh, okay, there we go. Fade to Black. Yeah, God, that was I thought that was 79. Uh, that, but yeah, that's 80. Yep, Fade to Black is 80. And all of us who are huge movie fans, that movie hits a little too close to home at points, doesn't it? It really does. It's very creepy. It's such a shame that nobody really knows about it. It's a movie that, uh, by all means, it should be... I, I'm not saying that it should be a, a monumental uh, movie that everybody knows about, but it should be at least a little bit bigger. Oh, you know what? I got one for you. Fulci, City of the Living Dead. That movie is really creepy and weird, and that is a uh, that is a pretty good, lesser-talked-about horror film from 1980. But there's also ones like... I really like Louis Teague's Alligator. Not just because Robert Forster just died, you know, and that's somehow relevant again. I think Alligator's a genuinely great film, because it's, it's got a sense of humor without being a comedy. And that's something that, especially in early 80s movies, you noticed was a hard thing to balance, because a lot of them, they were either a horror comedy or a humorless horror movie. Alligator, I think, balanced horror and comedy Better than it probably had a right to, and that's probably due to John Sayles' script. Well, who is the... I mean, you want to talk about clever comedy that's funny, but doesn't beat you over the head with it, not, you know, oh, here's wacky sidekick guy. The, who is the first victim of the alligator? Ed Norton. That, that, so a lot of people... I mean, now a lot of people may not get that. But back in 1980, a lot of people would get that, because Ed Norton was from the Honeymooners, and he was a sewage worker. So that was a really clever little in-joke for the people who were fans of the Honeymooners without, like, so that was kind of like, <laughs> without, like, 
Here's something funny! Laugh! Also the fact that it just, the whole movie has a weird sense of humor to it. Like, I, I personally like when Urban Hunter comes in and he starts hiring street kids as his guides and stuff as he's hunting the alligator, and it's got this weird dichotomy with the jungle movies of the 70s. I thought that was just kind of brilliant. We just had that Sam Raimi produced Crawl one. Crawl, which I haven't seen yet. Which I've, I've heard mixed things. I'm very curious about it. But uh, I do think that it is a, a subgenre that does keep coming up every now and then. We get a lot of killer alligator movies. And I think the, the concept behind Crawl is really cool. My, whether the end result is good or not remains to be seen. I haven't seen it yet. I like the idea, and I like that it's at least something a little bit different. I also like the fact that Robin Riker is so freaking cute in Alligator. I don't remember because it's been a while, but uh, I will I will take your word for it. But then there's also other stuff like going over to Italy. We have Anthropophagus from D'Amato, which I know a lot of people like. I don't. On the other hand, I really like Margariti's Cannibal Apocalypse with John Saxon. I don't know why, but I don't know. Maybe the fact that that was shot in America and you know was one of those fake in quotes American movies with the names being changed to to seem American. I don't know. I I kind of liked Cannibal. Apocalypse. Anthropophagus did nothing for me. That that's another thing with the the weird uh, cannibal movies. It was definitely uncomfortable. They've always sat a little off with me. Like I I enjoyed them. I like a lot of the cannibal films. There's always just something inherently creepy about them. I don't know why. Uh, it's just such a, a taboo subject. They always do them in a way that makes them feel really dirty. And like, like you shouldn't be watching. Like 1980s Cannibal Holocaust, which is another one that's been talked to death, so I want to move on. But sticking with the Italians, am I the only one that likes Uli Lumel's Boogeyman? I mean, okay, the sequels all blow ass and they're a confusing mess of bad ideas and cocaine. I actually kind of like 1980s Boogeyman. I just mentioned Boogeyman uh, on the video I did for Oculus because it was one of the few movies that used mirrors as a uh, plot device. And yet, ironically enough, uh, it was an it was an Amityville horror ripoff, though. I know. So it was like it's you know the house, but they went with the mirror. But it's still, I think it's it is a ripoff, but it, it does it differently enough that it does become its own thing. It is very creepy, and it is much, much better than the... Not a remake, but it used the name... It was the... Was it The Boogeyman? Oh, from the early 2000s? Uh, Yeah. That was awful. Uh, That was basically 90 minutes of them opening doors. It was so bad. Well, but then what about the... No one seems to remember this movie. Remember when Charlton Heston and Susan York starred in The Awakening based on the Bram Stoker novel? Nobody... I don't think I've ever seen it. Remembers this one. I've never seen it. It, it, It's kind of dull, which is, I think, why it's not remembered. It's got a great poster, though. If you look up the poster, I love the poster. That's what made me want to see it. And then when I saw it, I'm like, this is really, really dull. Whatever. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the slow burn of George C. Scott in The Changeling. You've got stuff like, now we saw it a couple of years later, I think not till 1983, under a different title, but Contamination, where we saw it as Alien Contamination, the Luigi Cozzi movie. I absolutely love this film. I love Contamination, Alien Contamination. It is so low budget and wonderful. It's kind of funny that it's a movie that I know a lot of people know about, but even still, it doesn't get talked about as much. If I'm not mistaken, I think Rift Tracks just did it. Joe Bob Briggs showed it last season as well, which I think probably got it a much larger audience. Ah, uh, okay, because yeah, a lot of things were coming out where uh, from the um, from the the Joe Bob specials. No, these aren't you know pieces of garbage to just be overlooked. This is like fun. And he talks about a lot of the positivity within it, which is kind of like what I do. But then there's a movie that has no positivity. Death Ship. That's just a dour movie, isn't it? Death Ship, the one the one with the, the Nazi ship. The one with George Kennedy and Nick Mancuso? Yeah, yes. come on. Death, Death Ship's great. Oh, I didn't say it wasn't a good movie. I just said it's a dour movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, Actually, the thing that, that really got me with Death Ship, here's this big rusty vessel, and they're walking around with, like, shoes. And I'm just like, oh, God, I hope they all had their tetanus shots. <laughs> like, that was my number one concern. And then it's like, ah, there's undead Nazis on the boat, sure, but, you know, geez, tetanus. <laughs> well, and, and then this year, we got two don'ts. We got don't answer the phone and don't go in the house. 
Both of which, well, both kind of sucked. I, I didn't like either of these don't movies. You know, other ones like He Knows You're Alone, The Hearse. You got Bruno Matai with Dawn of the Dead, um, Hell of the Living Dead. Because isn't that the one where he copied everything, including the costumes, if I'm remembering right? Pretty much, yeah. You've got, we've talked about it to death, but there was Humanoids from the Deep. You've got Inferno from Argento. Island Claws with the Killer Crabs. I love Island Claws. I know you do. There's also... Based off the book, I, you know, so it's like, wow, there was there was a book about giant crabs, and which led me to find the, uh, there's a whole series of uh, crab-related horror. Then there's Long Island Cannibal Massacre. Trust me, the title is the best part. There is the weird, did you ever see this weird Belgian movie with Louise Fletcher starring in it? called Mama Dracula? Am I the only one who's ever seen Mama Dracula? Very possibly, I don't know. Okay, well then how, how about Canon saying, let's make a holiday slasher film to cash in on, Hallow- on Halloween. New Year's Evil. Or I should say, I am evil. Isn't New Year's Evil like, because it's been a while since I've seen this one too, but isn't New Year's Evil time travel? And- no. He's he, no, no. The killer is wearing a mask. He masks his voice, and he's gonna kill someone at the stroke of midnight in each time zone, and calls into a live punk rock TV show. What the hell There's movie a, are you thinking of? There is a. All right, I'm. I'm. Tr- I thought it was New Year's Evil, but I'm. Uh, there is a New Year's horror film that revolves around time travel. Not this I, one. All right, it, God, now I gotta go digging because that's gonna drive me nuts now. Because I seriously thought it was New Year's Evil, but uh, it's something else apparently. Well, but then there is Prom Night. Everything's all right. I never liked. I never liked the first two Prom Nights. I liked when they went batshit crazy with three and four, though. Oh, you didn't like uh, Hello Mary, uh, Hello Betty Sue, or Hello Mary? Hello Sue? Mary no, Sue. No, Mary Lou. Yeah, or hello, or is it Mary Lou? Mary Lou. But yeah, the only thing that's good about I'm that like is Sue, Michael, Michael Mary, Ironside. Yeah. yeah, Michael Ironside's the only good thing about that. But then there's like, like Promnick, though. I think it's fine. It's, oh God, it's try sitting through the remake. No. <laughs> but then, you know, there's Jamie Lee Curtis coming back right after Halloween to do Terror Train, which I really didn't like. Really? Terror Train's I didn't. good. With the, with the killer uh, uh, killer David Copperfield? Oh, and, th- and then there's the weird toxic zombies, the pot zombies. We've talked about before in our Disney episode, The Watcher in the Woods. There's Zombie Holocaust. I don't know, 1980, it seemed like it was a lot of a lot of 70s. You, you know how it takes a decade, a little bit while? A, a lot of these movies are very 70s, especially the Italian stuff. I was really surprised how many of the Italian movies we discussed were actually from 1980, because they feel so late 70s, don't they? Well, uh, technically, 1980 is late 70s. It's like, uh, it's just, uh, it takes a little while for... It, it's weird the way that it works, but it does take a little while for the influences to kind of kick over. But yeah, a lot of 70s vibes you'll get from early 80s stuff, especially in 1980. Because they a lot of them started production in 1979. But then as we go into 1981, we start off with, like, The Alchemist, the only time Charles Band ever was work for hire. I, I did a whole write-up for it for Delirium Magazine. I think there are good things in The Alchemist, but God, is it not a good movie. It's one of the very few Charlie Band films that I haven't seen. Well, you're, you're right up there with Robert Ginty. He starred in it. He said, I mean, he gave an interview a year or two before he died, and he said he it's the only film he's ever made he had no interest in seeing. Wow. That says something, I think. I don't know, because there are also actors and whatnot who just won't watch their movies, or they, they'll, like, kind of, you know, turn their nose down at a film that they did because it was in a low point in their career or something. Regardless of the quality of the film or if it's a beloved thing, they just... Nicole Kidman with BMX Bandits, she, like, you know, turns her nose down at that film. It's like, no, it's it's a really good movie. Like, don't... Like, it's better than some of the crap that you did when you were huge. <laughs> so, I... That yeah, I, Eyes Wide Shut, anyone? I like Eyes Wide Shut. Of course you do. It's deep. a garbage film. Oh, you, you, you're garbage. <laughs> do you know, what a, you know what a great film is? What is it? The Beyond. The, yes. the Beyond. I, 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 I love, I love a lot of Fulci movies. This is without a doubt his best movie. Now it makes no sense, but it is just such a gorgeous film. I don't know why. Just the imagery and the music works so great. Now I'm not talking Seven Doors of Death cut. I'm talking the Beyond cut. 
is fantastic. It, it's a tremendous movie. It looks good. Um, the, the lighting, the shadows, whole vibe of it. Again, I don't mind if a movie is heavy on atmosphere, if it really makes you think. And I don't know, necessarily doesn't make sense. I think that it's really, you kind of need to wrap your brain around it and you can interpret it many different ways. Now, if that's the way it was intended or it just ended up being kind of weird, but um, something like Prince of Darkness, where it doesn't entirely make sense, but there's so much to it that you can really think about and extrapolate your own answers. Beyond is just a really neat film that uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's not hard to get a hold of. Been re-released a bazillion times, and uh, it's a really neat movie. It also has one of the most nihilistic endings of an 80s film ever. Oh yeah, totally. But then there's stuff like Burial Ground, there's stuff like The Burning. I personally do not like The Burning. I've never liked it. I never liked it when I was a teenager. The Burning is not a very good film, yet a lot of people love it. Umberto Lenzi with Cannibal Ferox. You've got the weird Cataclysm. I kind of dig Dawn of the Mummy, though. I don't know if I've actually seen it. Well, okay, then what about, like, Deadly Blessing? I really didn't like Deadly Blessing. I know everyone, Wes Craven, Wes Craven. I'm sorry, I did not like Deadly Blessing at all. That was not... Oh, no, Deadly Friend. I was thinking, because Deadly... Uh, mixing Deadly Breast... De deadly Blessing? Deadly Blessing up with Deadly Friend. Uh, deadly Blessing, that was the one with, um, with... Uh, Sharon Stone. With Sharon Stone. Okay, yeah. No, I liked it fine. I think it was, uh, it was a little creepy. It wasn't one of his best, but, uh, I didn't think it was all that bad. Well, we get two more don'ts. We have Don't Go Near the Park and Don't Go in the Woods, both of which are movies I say don't bother watching. <laughs> Silly, but fun. What do you want? But then, but then I just recently rewatched The Entity. If you say the plot out loud, hey, Barbara Hershey gets raped by a ghost, it sounds goofy. I forgot how goddamn creepy that movie was. I showed it to my girlfriend. She'd never seen it. I, I, have, I had not seen it in 25, 30 years. I forgot how goddamn creepy and atmospheric the entity is, especially that ending. That is f***ing terrifying. Yeah, the entity is something else. Somebody, we were talking about that the other day, sex with ghosts. Somebody brought up the entity. I was like, oh my god, yeah, that is... I mean, that wasn't, that was not consensual sex with a ghost. That was ghost rape. It's crazy. It is a really creepy film. It's really uncomfortable. And, uh, just, I mean, how, how do you fight back? You know, it just, that was been my always thing. That's my thing with why I don't like ghosts and why I don't like bugs. Bugs are just, they get everywhere and ghosts, like, you can't shoot a ghost. Well, and it also, now, I know it's based on it in quotes, true story in this, but the ending, again, nihilistic. You know, she, she defeats, she thinks she defeats it, everything's good, she goes back home. Welcome home, cunt! Yeah. And it's just like, oh, this is not gonna end well, you know? Yeah, it's really unpleasant. I mean, it's a really good movie. That's one of those ones, though, if you say the plot, Barbara Hershey gets raped by a ghost, people just immediately will dismiss the film. Well, people will immediately dismiss a lot of films for just simplistic things. You know, you boil it down to its core elements, and you can make anything sound silly. What about uh, The Evil Dead? Which, okay, Bruce Campbell is very clear it was made in 1979, but, okay, it got released in 1981. So I'm going to say Evil Dead is this year. I mean, we've, we've talked about it to death. It's an amazing movie. It deserves all the praise it gets. The slasher movie thing is starting to really pick up. You saw it a little bit in 1980, you know, after what Friday the 13th did. Fear No Evil isn't technically a slasher movie, but it's got all the tropes of one. You got Final Exam, which I know you've talked about. We got, you know, Friday the 13th Part 2. You've got Funeral Home, which is sort of a slasher movie. Fun House, which is sort of a slasher movie. I personally, it's not a slasher movie, but I, we talked about it in our Werewolf episode. I really like Larry Cohen's Full Moon High. Got the, the right kind of whatever kind of attitude to it that that makes it good but then i want to talk about galaxy of terror galaxy of terror is one of my favorite roger corman produced movies ever i love humanoids from the deep galaxy of terror has taffy o'connell raped to death by a giant space maggot sid Haig killed by his own severed arm freddy krueger fighting himself aaron moran gets her head blowed up and it's all on a planet built by the skotek brothers that looks like it literally could have been out of aliens a few years later i love galaxy of terror Great movie. Really, really creepy. Uh, very weird. Very, uh, very syrupy. And, uh, and, uh, so if, if people are like, why are the special effects look so amazing? Well, it's because they had James Cameron working on them next to nothing. Cause, uh, that was when he was really just getting into the industry. A lot of people don't know that, uh, Cameron started, uh, with Corman. And he uh, also, 
Cameron was also unofficial second unit director on that movie, too. The big thing was that a lot of people talk about, he got the maggots to move on cue by running electrical currents. Like, they were real maggots, but he was running electrical currents through the material that they were sitting on. So that was, like, really impressive, and everybody was like, you know, that guy thinks outside of the box. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. <laughs> Working with real maggots. You know, we're back to slashers. we got Graduation Day, Halloween 2. You have Oliver Stone's The Hand, which I think is one of his... I, I, I talked last week how I really dig Seizure. The uh -huh. Hand, I did not like. But, you know, you got Happy Birthday to Me. Hell Night, which is uh, Tom, Tom D. Simone. But it's not a slasher movie, but it might as well be. I know it's ghosts and stuff. You got Home Sweet Home. Home Sweet Home has one of the greatest moments in cinematic history. Uh, was it Body by Jake? does the, the body slam or whatever on the hood of the car and crushes the guy. <laughs> I, I didn't like that movie. That's we, amazing. We have Fool Cheese House by the Cemetery. We have The Howling this year. We've got the weird alien ripoff in Seminoid, which we in America got as Horror Planet. Again, we're dealing with uh, space rape. Uh, you got the weird Jaws of Satan just before dawn. You have John Russo's Midnight. We got the Monster Club, which we talked about in the Werewolf episode. Mighty Valentine, which I, I never liked, although it's way better than the remake. The Nesting. Omen 3, I think is probably my favorite of the Omen movies. And we've got James Cameron again. Piranha 2, The Spawning. And I don't give a shit what anybody says. I really like this movie. It's great. Cameron was supposed to do second unit, but he ended up pretty much directing the whole thing. No, he was actually hired... He was hired to direct it, but then he was... It, it's it's a weird... Avedito J. Asinaitis says Cameron was was fired after two weeks for being incompetent. Cameron and Lance Henriksen both say Cameron shot the entire movie and was fired in editing. So, depends on who you want to believe. I honestly would probably go more with Lance because he just seems like more of a why why is Lance I mean granted he he's worked with Cameron over the years a lot but he's always been a stand-up guy and I don't see him BSing about something like that and that just sounds like something that really maybe could happen Cameron is more of a Cameron's a perfectionist and probably was really doing a lot in post and they just had a lot of disagreements and maybe there were problems that were going to cost them more money and they decided to boost boot him out and kind of take over in the end whatever i still think it's a really fun movie but then there's the canadian the pit which i know you like i do not i would have liked the version that was supposed to be like uh, i'm with the writer on that one about how like they hired a director who really did not like he he just so happened to be there that day when it was like hey you want to direct a movie yeah and he directed the movie and kind of made it what he wanted it to be which is kind of the prerogative of the director i understand that he had no personal interest in it he just was doing it and made a lot of massive changes to it and it ended up uh hurting the film i think what we ended up with was still entertaining but it's not really what it was supposed to be well, but then we got Bruno Mattai and Joe D'Amato making Porno Holocaust, one of the most unnecessary movies ever. No one ever asked for a hardcore porn zombie movie before. As much as it's talked about, I just can't bring myself to watch it. I've never seen it. Don't. Cause yeah, because I, I kind of get the gist of what it is, and I don't. I don't know. I, I just. I'm like, you know, I think I've got 90 minutes to. Do something better with my time. Well, but then there's the, the slash movie. You got The Prowler. You have William Malone's first, you know, real film, Scared to Death, which I genuinely like. We have the Roger Corman produced, shockingly not funny, Saturday the 14th. Oh, boo! I knew that was coming. I was waiting for that. I knew you were going to like Saturday the 14th. Right, and Saturday the 14th strikes back. What's wrong with you? You probably don't like student bodies either. Actually, student bodies is quite funny. I was just about to bring that up. Student bodies actually has humor to it. Saturday the 14th has no jokes to it. it. It's just stupid things like the wife constantly thinking bats are owls or the main, the main villain and the main hero in a, in their final battle just yelling sound effects at one another and you just are like, this isn't funny, Roger. 
Well, it's not funny to you. Then there is Michael Wadalay's Strange Wolfen, a movie that we discussed in the werewolf episode is not a werewolf movie. That's a werewolf movie. That's not a werewolf movie. That Just go listen to the werewolf episode. So as we move into 1982, I know you like this movie a lot, and I do like Sid Haig in this movie. The aftermath is not very good. It, it's, it's a total ego project by Steve Barquette, but Sid Haig is great in it. It's a post-apocalyptic movie, so automatically gets, you know, I, I'm soft on them. I, I always just have a special place for them. So I can understand people not liking them or not liking that one in particular. It's just something that, it, there's something magical about post-apocalyptic movies with me. Um, I don't know, you know, so. So yeah, that one I can understand people not liking, but I still like. Then there's Alone in the Dark, the Jack Shoulder one. I mean, okay, first of all, you have Jack Palance, Donald Pleasance, and Martin Landau in a slasher movie. You have Donald Pleasance splitting a man in twain while upside down with a samurai sword. Why are you not watching 1982's Alone in the Dark? But then there's, again, we discussed it in our Amityville retrospective, Amityville 2, The Possession, which just sucks. It's a film that keeps going, it's the 70s, it's the 70s, it's the 70s. And they've got Walkmans and modern movie, th- you know, movies playing in the back, and it's like, oh, shut up. I, I personally, I'm going to take a lot of crap for what I'm about to say. No! I like Basket Case 2 and 3. I don't like the first Basket Case. I'm sorry. I, I like all the Basket Cases. You got The Beast Within with Philip Mora. You've got Blood Tide, which was basically James Earl Jones on vacation fighting monster, fighting some sort of an underwater monster in the Greek Isles. And he was once asked, because remember, he's already done in Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and stuff, why he would do a low-budget, weirdo, foreign film like Blood Tide. Well, they basically paid my wife and I to go on a vacation in the Greek Isles for three weeks. I just occasionally had to throw dynamite at a fake monster. I'm totally on (laughs) his side for this, you know? Well, that always kills me when you see, like, an actor like Samuel Jackson and they're, you know, well, why are you in these giant events, you know, in the Avengers, and then you'll go be in some little pile of crap. And it's like, because they pay him to go to another part of the world, and when he's not filming, he's off playing golf somewhere. Like, do you not understand? He's being paid to go on vacation and occasionally show up and, you know, throw dynamite at monsters or or shoot a monster or say motherfucker a bunch of times. It's It's really not... It's not hard to understand why some of these actors will slum it, so to speak. Or you have somebody like Eric Roberts, who just, he just likes to act, and he will be in almost anything. Well, but then 1982 also has, now I, I remember liking this movie, I've not seen it since like maybe 1985. I remember really enjoying the Boogans. Oh, the Boogans is great! Boogans, you got, uh, giant evil turtle monsters. That was one of the first horror movies I've ever seen. It's creepy. It's fun. It's really interesting. Uh, I've always had a soft spot for the Boogans. Well, but then you've got the really weird remake, not remake, remake, not remake, and I guess I said that twice intentionally, of Cat People, the, the Natasha Kinski, Malcolm McDowell one. That it's a remake of the old film, but it's not a remake because the old film had nothing to do with the title because they were forced to use the title. But this is a remake of the title of, and you're just like, oh my god. But personally, I like 1982 Cat People. I I think it's ridiculously stupid and fun at the same time. Cat People is atmospheric as hell. Well, it's Paul Schrader, like, yeah. Like, they nail the look. Like, it is so good. I I really enjoy it. I think it's very effective. And that was when they were trying really hard to make Natasha Kinski a thing. I've always liked Natasha, Natasha Kinski, uh, but she just, for whatever reason, never really caught on. She's not a strong actor. She's not awful, but you can very much see in every movie she's in her limitations. She is not a strong actress. That hasn't stopped a lot of people. Like, look at, look, Jessica Alba is gorgeous, but she's pretty much the same person in every movie. That has not impacted her career at all. 
So I think that there are a lot of actors and actresses out there who really are very limited in their abilities, but for whatever reason, you have some of them that go off and become very popular, even though they're basically playing the same character over and over again, and other ones that are the same thing that are also, like, Natasha Kinski is very beautiful, but she just never really took off. And it's, it, I guess it's really just the, the choice of movies, whatever their agent gave them, it just didn't give them that one movie that made them a household name. Well, then this year we've also got Creep Show, which we did a whole retrospective on. We have, oh, good God, Curse of the Cannibal Confederates, which I say don't even bother with. And we got a, we got a don't this year. Don't go to sleep that nobody has seen with Dennis Weaver. We've got the dorm that dripped blood. Meh. But personally, I really dig Corman's Forbidden World. It's not as good as Galaxy of Terror, but I like Forbidden World. Good atmosphere. Technically, James Cameron is involved in this one because they reuse the sets and some of the special effects from Galaxy of Terror. So James Cameron technically designed the sets for Forbidden World, but he had already moved on to Piranha 2 by this point. But I like Forbidden World. Oh, I love Forbidden World. It's, uh, it is, uh, an alien ripoff done in a way that it, again, it sets itself differently enough. The director originally had a whole different idea of what they were gonna do, and Corman essentially said, are you kidding? That's way too expensive. And so they dialed things down to where it was. And, uh, I like it. It's silly because the guy shows up and just every woman immediately wants to have sex with him. It's, uh, it's silly, it's fun, it's entertaining, and I am going to try to do that one in November. And see, the thing I like about Forbidden World the most is the original title was Mutant, which I think Forbidden World's a better title. Go and check out on YouTube the German trailer. Mutant! Yes, Mutant, Mutant, Mutant! I love how they say Mutant in the trailer, but that's just me. And then we got Friday the 13th Part 3, we got Halloween 3, Talk to Death. We have Humongous, the Paul Lynch film. I was never a huge fan. The last horror film, though, the David Winters movie, the Joe Spinell, Carolyn Monroe one, I think is interesting because I don't think it's a good movie, but I think it's a great idea. I hate to say it, that's one I think should be remade because I don't think it was made properly, but the idea is very solid. Yeah, yeah, I've liked those very much. We've got Living Dead Girl, Madman, which I just never really liked. We got Fulci with Manhattan Baby, which, okay, I dig. Unfortunately, there's also New York Ripper. I don't like this movie. I don't know. It's just, it's too, I hate to say this, it's too sleazy. Isn't that the one with the, with the, the guy with the duck voice? Yes, and he also slices <laughs> that woman's eyeball out in close up in it. And I know you and me are both going, Wah! Yeah, at yeah. That. I, I, uh, haven't seen it in a, in a while. I remember, uh, laughing when Peter was doing a video on it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a wacky movie. It's very sleazy. I definitely do want to revisit it though. But then there's also, and, and I'm really weird on this one, Charles Band's Parasite. I actually think the, horror movie elements are the weakest part. He created such an interesting, just verging on falling apart world. The world building in Parasite to me is way more interesting than the fucking monster scene. I actually kind of wanted the monster scenes to go away because I liked the world he was building instead. Is that weird? No, I've had that where there's certain movies where it's just, it's really interesting and then either a character dies just, it's like the, the genre aspect kicks in and you're like, no, go back to this one character or go back to the, you know. So yeah, I think the world building aspects of it were interesting. And, uh, was that, that, was that Demi Moore's first movie or like one of her first movies? It was one of. She was dating Charles Band at the time. That's why. Cause that's how she actually, cause Charles Band released the original I Spit on Your Grave. He didn't make it or produce it, but that's Demi Moore's ass on the poster because she was dating Charles Band at the time. That's right. That's actually Demi Moore's ass on the poster for I Spit on Your Grave. But then this year also has Pieces, which I know everybody loves. I didn't get Bastard! Into, I didn't get into this one, but it's got Poltergeist, which we did a whole retrospective on, but it has Cue the Winged Serpent, one of Larry Cohen's best movies. Where else are you going to have Kwai Chang Kane and and John Shaft fighting a giant monster with the district attorney from Law and Order. Fighting a stop-motion monster. It's great. But then there is The Slayer. I, I enjoy it, but Slumber Party Massacre. Just rewatched the all those with my girlfriend a couple of months ago. Oh, cool boy, do those not hold up. Those were way better in my memories than they were after rewatching the box set, man. 
Um, I like them. You know, they're they're corny and fun and kind of you, you get what you sign up for. Tenebrae. You've got Dario Argento making another movie that we we got as unsane, but you know Tenebrae is fantastic. You got John Saxon again. We got John Carpenter's The Thing, which has been talked to death, and we have Michael Ironside in Visiting Hours, which. You know what? Screw you. I enjoyed Visiting Hours. Visiting Hours has one of the most memorable movie posters ever. Uh, I remember I... The the hospital skull thing? I recreated that with my light bright, and I got grounded. But then as we move into 1983, we've got Michael Ironside again and another Canadian. Well, because Visiting Hours is Canadian, but this one is... It's funny that it's Canadian because it's called American Nightmare, and it's that Canadian slasher movie. We've got the Lumberto Baba, A Blade in the Dark, which I do remember liking. We have Uli Lumel pissing all over the first Boogeyman with Boogeyman 2. I see what he was doing idea-wise, that the first Boogeyman movie is a movie in Boogeyman 2, and all of the actors are back because they were the actors in the first movie, but then the first movie was cursed, so you can kind of see he was a little ahead of the curve because that's been done before and way better. I just don't think Uli Lamel was the right person to come up to bring a unique idea like that to 1980s audiences, you know? Yeah, I think it might have just missed the mark a little bit. Then there's Christine and Cujo, two Stephen King movies I don't like. Yes, I know you're about to yell at me for not liking Christine, but I'm sorry I don't like it. Oh. Sorry. We've got The Deadly Spawn, the interesting Australian Death Warmed Up, which I really, really dig. We've got The Forest, another slasher movie. The Forest is great, though. I want to talk about House of Long Shadows from Canon. Where you got Christopher Lee and Vincent Price, and it's this old Hammer style film, but through a canon lens. And I'm not going to tell you what the plot twist at the end is, but I guess me saying that there's a plot twist is a tip off there. I really, really think more people need to see House of Long Shadows. Yeah, it's very, very good. Uh, I mean, the name alone just emits so much uh, hammer. It, it emits a hammer it, feel. It's, it's a hammer. Yeah, it is a hammer sounding title. But a hammer style film coming from canon, if that does not pique your interest, I don't know what will. House on Sorority Row. And then there's The Hunger. I'm really, really weird on The Hunger because I think it is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. The editing, the cinematography, the camera work. It is also one of the most boring films. Because I think there's actually, and I, I like Tony Scott, and again, I love his direction. There's maybe 25 minutes of story in this hour and 45 minute movie. He just fell in love with all of these sweeping music video style sequences, and you just kind of keep looking at your watch going, are we going to do something with the story at some point? I think I've only ever seen it once, and I saw it because that was David Bowie, right? David Bowie, Susan Sarandon, Catherine Deneau. I very much don't even remember it. It's like a 90-minute music video, and that that bothered me because I actually wanted to see where this went. Then there's Jaws 3D. The Keep now is is one of Michael Mann's weirdest because he's not known for horror movies. And then there's he the, hates it. Does he hate the movie or the movie that was released in America? No, he hates the movie. He said um, because there is the the full version of the film exists. There is a like I think it's three and a half hour long, three and a half hours long, and they have found the footage. And right now, there's all the companies that are uh, the boutique remastering uh, places, uh, Vinegar Syndrome and whatnot. And he basically said that he will pay any amount of money possible to keep that film buried. And see, I disagree with him because I liked the American version. And then th- this is a weird one where you have to look for a bootleg of it. In, I don't know, 85, 86, NBC showed the movie on NBC, like, Sunday night at the movies. They showed a version that has a different ending and, like, 40 minutes of scenes that are not in the theatrical cut. But you could only find them in the TV version. The Keep is one of those ones where we've never seen the true version, because the TV version cuts a bunch of stuff from the theatrical version. The theatrical version cuts a bunch of stuff from the TV version. So you kind of got to find this weird composite edit that takes the TV scenes, and I'd like to see The Keep for real. I don't care what Michael Mann thinks. I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I think that's kind of crappy because he's standing in the way of all the work people that have, have you know, the actors, the crew, the, everybody that put that film together. It's not just on him. He's become a big enough director to his own right. All of a sudden, this film from 30 plus years ago is going to come out. It's not going to negatively impact him. So I have a feeling, honestly, probably what's going to happen, and I am not wishing any kind of ill will on him, but more than likely what will happen is... He will die, and the rights will end up, somebody will end up getting them, and hopefully they'll be able to construct the proper version of the film and get it released, and who knows, maybe it'll come out and people will re-recognize it. Oh my god, this is a, uh, this is the film that should have been released in the first place, I have a, which I have a feeling is going to be Case. And he had nothing to be ashamed of. This was a movie that he should have been proud of. Then there's also The Prey, another forest slasher movie. There's, we covered it in our Psycho retrospective, Psycho 2, which the blasphemy I'm about to say, I think is the best film in that franchise. I love Psycho. I actually think Psycho 2 is a better movie all the way around. I think Psycho 2 is good, but I think don't think it's as groundbreaking as Psycho 1. Then there's Scalps from Fred Olin Ray. We've got Sleepaway Camp. We've already done a whole retrospective. You love it. I do not. Boo. Well, we can agree on this one then. Tom Engelbert's Soul Survivor is a movie more people need to see. You want to talk about a weird dreamlike sort of LSD atmosphere? And it makes sense in the movie to a degree if you know what the ending is. I like Soul Survivor. Yeah. Soul Survivor's terrific. Something Wicked This Way Comes, go look up our Disney Dark Period episode. This movie is way creepier than it has a right to be for a f***ing Disney film. Absolutely. It didn't even really register with me when I was little and I saw it, and I saw it again later. I'm like, this is just, this is just weird, like dark and weird, and I did, cause I didn't really get it when I was little. Yeah, it's a, it's a neat movie that, uh, I, unfortunately, because it's during the dark era of Disney, it's one of the ones that, uh, is buried. The, the weird thing is, and I mean this in an absolute positive way, it is so Ray Bradbury-esque, isn't it? Isn't it weird that Bradbury has uh, even though he does, he's never directed a movie before, when you see an a Ray Bradbury adaptation done properly, you just go, God, does this feel like Ray Bradbury, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, his stuff does have a very distinct vibe to it, and I think that they nailed that with uh, Something Wicked. Then there is Videodrome. Come on, do we even need to discuss how much I think Videodrome was ahead of its time in an amazing film? But then I do want to discuss Extro, that weird British movie that is way better than anyone remembers it being. Because I think people immediately dismissed it because of the poster. And then you go and watch it, and you say to yourself, this is really intelligent and really well done. The only thing I'll bitch about it is they really killed the snake in that. They really blew the snake's head off, and you know how I feel about killing animals in movies. I am so against animals being killed in movies, uh, but at the same time, snakes... I don't, I don't, I, I think it's still wrong. Like there was, um, I did frogs not too recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, and there was a, uh, a rattlesnake. Yet Sam Elliott, like, wasn't afraid of the rattlesnake, and I'm like, yeah, cause they, the friggin', it looks like they took the snake's teeth out. And so that, that just kind of bugs me whenever they will injure an animal just to make a movie. Like, I don't know the history behind that. Maybe they got a, a rattlesnake that didn't have its teeth or something, or I don't know. Just but stuff like that. What we were talking about, like with Ray Cardona, uh, with the, with the cats, and yeah, just uh, killing animals in, in movies for the movie is just wrong. Well, then as we move into 1984, we've got Charles B. Pierce with. Now I loved Legend of Boggy Creek, Barbaric Beast of Boggy Creek Part Two. Uh, sorry, this one didn't work for me, Charles. It's another one I, I have seen, uh, Legend, but I, I haven't seen that one. Well, there's Bloodsuckers from Outer Space, but then there is the one we're going to talk about, Chud. Oh, I, I love Chud. I just watched Chud for the first time in 20 years, maybe three weeks ago with my girlfriend. I love Chud. I know Joe Bob hates it. When I was interviewing Joe Bob after the fact, when we were just talking... He, he was talking about how he doesn't understand, he doesn't like this movie, he was forced to show it on his show, he calls the people who love this Chud Monkeys, and he just does not understand the Chud Monkeys and the love for Chud, and it's like, okay, I get it, Joe Bob, there's not a lot of Chud in Chud, but it's the atmosphere and the weirdo characters, and you've got this weird thing where John Hurd and Kim Grice have absolutely no chemistry together whatsoever as a married couple, and you got John Hurd playing like he doesn't really want to be in this movie, 
even though he wasn't a name yet. Then you have Daniel Stern playing like he's f***ing Mel Gibson in Conspiracy Theory. And, you know, it's like, okay, there's like three movies going on in this movie all at once, you know? Yeah, I'm genuinely shocked that he doesn't like it. I mean, every now and then, there'll be a movie that comes along that just, you think that somebody is absolutely going to love it, and they just, for whatever reason, don't. And that, to me, was Chud with uh, Joe Bob. That is every everything that seems like it would be right up his alley, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. Just, therefore, therefore proving not everything will work for everyone, even for something that you think is going to work for them. It just doesn't work for whatever reason. He just doesn't like it. And really, uh, it doesn't bother me, but it just... It's kind of, it's just, it's weird. Are you a Chud monkey like me? I guess I'm a Chud monkey. I I like Chud, and I like Bud the Chud, too, you know? No! That's a freaking rejected Return of the Living Dead 3 script. Yes, but I still like, I mean, I like Chud more, but I like Bud the Chud. You know, come on. Well, then there's Children of the Corn, which we did a whole retrospective on years ago. Company of Wolves. You weren't on the werewolf episode, but I don't like this one. Everybody loves Company of Wolves. I don't. I like parts of it. Well, then we got another don't. We haven't had a year yet where we haven't had a don't. Now we have the Edward Perdom don't open tell Xmas. It's got Carolyn Monroe in it for no reason at all. She shows up for a musical number, which is not what you think of for Carolyn Monroe. This one does a twist on the whole Santa Claus killer thing. This one is a guy in a yellow jacket killing Santa Claus, is not a guy in a Santa Claus costume killing people. And it's got that amazing scene where, where a Santa Claus has taken a piss and a guy takes a straight razor and cuts his dick off with Santa Claustration. I, I, this episode is really, I've been keep bringing up me, but um, this was a landmark episode for me, or landmark movie for me, because this was the very first Good Bad Flicks video I ever did, was uh, Don't Open Till Christmas. I think it's uh, a lot of fun. I think it's an interesting movie. Uh, I would. I was glad that it got restored for DVD, but I think by the time they got the DVD, it was a little bit late. I wish they would have been able to get it uh, to Blu-ray. Maybe one day they will, because I think it's a... It's a good-looking, sleazy film. And, yeah, Carolyn Monroe shows up for a music video in the middle of it. Uh, honestly, it's been ten years since I did the video, so I don't remember why. Uh, there was a, They had a valid reason as to why uh, Carolyn Monroe was there. I think basically they they needed the star power and uh uh but I mean Edward Perdom it has this really weird down ending it's it's an interesting movie if you haven't seen it it's actually on DVD it should be relatively still easy to get a hold of I like it and yeah there's uh Santa Claus a guy in a Santa suit gets his gets his penis cut off what more do you want well then there's Friday the 13th the final chapter which is not the final chapter we got Gremlins been talked to death we have The Initiation, which is an interesting slasher movie, along with Monster Dog, which we, again, you weren't on the werewolf episode, the Alice Cooper, Claudio Fragasso Italian werewolf movie that Alice Cooper absolutely loved filming but hates the final movie. But then, Night of the Comet. We're back to Tom Engelbert. I can't tell you how much I love Night of the Comet. Okay, the last 25 minutes feel like they were making it up as they go along, fine. I love Night of the Comet, though. Well, Night of the Comet, they, uh, the budget was running out. And so that one was where they really started cutting scenes towards the end. That's why it feels a little truncated because they were, they just, they didn't have that money, money to begin with. And then they really were just running out of money and they were trying to get in as much as they could. So they had to change the ending. Well, change, I don't want to say change the ending, but change the final third of the film a little bit to be able to fit in uh, under budget. But it's still a great movie. I love it. I love it dearly. I think it's fantastic. I think it's a lot of fun. There's Nightmare on Elm Street, which we're skipping. Then there's Razorback, the Russell Mulcahy Australian movie. Okay, I don't think it's a great movie. You know, the giant pig, you know, attacking people on the farm. Good God, does this movie look amazing. I, actually, I, I'm just going by memory here, but isn't like half this movie fucking backlit shots? I bought the Blu-ray not too long ago. It got a remaster this year or last year. It is one of the most gorgeous films ever. They shot... A lot of it, there's a lot backlit, there's a lot in the outback. The shots, stylistically, it's amazing. Even if you don't like the film, it's just gorgeous. Like, you can't deny... And I know it sounds silly, it's a... Um, a, a is it a war... It's a warthog. Whatever the well, giant... It, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a razorback. It's a razorback, yes. That, that's in the title, Well, I know, man. but I mean, specifically... But I mean, it's it's a very... It's a warthog of some... Anyway, regardless, it doesn't matter. It's a giant pig that is, uh, which they are nasty. 
and uh, especially a one that's out in the Australian Outback. But there's so much more to the film than that. You will be stunned at how good-looking this film is and some of the shots they have set up. It's not something you would expect from a movie about a killer pig named Razorback. Then there is, like, Satan's Blade. We have Silent Night, Deadly Night. We did a whole retrospective on. We have the interesting Splatter University. But then I want to end on... Terror in the Isles, which is, strangely enough, not a horror film. It's a documentary hosted by Donald Pleasance and Nancy Allen about horror films, so it's just something to check out. We get the first real trauma film this year. Toxic Avenger, man. Freaking Toxic Avenger was actually made this year. Although, tech, it, it didn't come out wide till 85, but for all intents and purposes, Toxic Avenger came out this year. And trauma existed before this, but this is the movie that made trauma trauma. Oh, absolutely. Troma was doing things like squeeze play and movies that have come to be beloved later, but at the time, they weren't really getting the recognition. It wasn't until The Toxic Avenger came out where that really set things off. Uh, although I did not see The Toxic Avenger until much later. I actually saw Toxic Avenger 2 was the first Toxic Avenger movie I ever saw. And then I went back and watched Toxic Avenger 1. Uh, now, so I've always had more of a soft spot for Toxic Avenger 2 because I think it's funnier and a more entertaining film, but I can't deny the, uh, enjoyment and the silliness of the first one. And if you haven't ever read the Lloyd Kaufman, uh, what is it? Everything I learned from filmmaking I learned from the Toxic Avenger book is just, it's hilarious. It's a great read and you see how much creativity went into this movie. Most people would kind of turn their see, nose uh, up at. I, I didn't see Toxic Avenger in the theater because you got to remember at this point I'm nine, but I do remember seeing the commercial for it on the Elvira MTV Halloween special. And on that, I went and rented it as soon as it came out on video and just fell in love with this movie. Uh, God, I think I saw, I think I saw the Toxic Avenger in like 1995 was when I finally oh, saw God, it. Oh God, I saw it in the 80s at least. Yeah, I saw it way later. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not as old as you so we're already hitting our time here now we're gonna break this up but we're not gonna come back to this next week because for the next two weeks we have our halloween special then we'll come back to night start 1985 in three weeks the first half of the 80s how would you sum up for horror has this been a pretty good year or not because to me i think while there's been some really strong films a lot of them are, and this is going to sound strange coming from me, derivative slasher crap. I love slasher movies, but a lot of them are just chasing Friday the 13th and Halloween, and that is the bulk of the horror output up to this point. I don't know, but I think they've all been enjoyable in various aspects. I have a soft spot for slasher films, and uh, this was the era of the slasher. We got so many of them, uh, such a wide variety, uh, so I've always enjoyed them. And uh, I, I'd i be happy if they continued to make R-rated slashers, but uh, now they just make PG-13 rated slashers and not even slashers. They're just really crapple. Uh, so I think it's been, uh, I think it's been a pretty banner half year so far. Well, we'll be back to this in three weeks, but next week begins our the first part of our Halloween special. So on that note, where can people find The Cecil? You can find me at goodbadflix.com, well as goodbadflicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com, and stuff, yes. You can find me at 1201beyond.com, contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above, keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.